Good evening, everyone, or good morning, wherever you are in the world. Welcome in again to the podcast, an even bigger fly on the wall. Yes, we're even bigger than the other flies on the wall. And the last time we spoke, we were talking about Shakespeare's Hamlet. We talked about William Blake, the English poet and painter. And a little bit about the Shumanite woman and her son and Prophet Elisha from Second Kings in the Bible. Well, before we go to what's new and what's next, let's tie down a few a few loose ends from the last podcast because I kind of just threw the Shunammite woman at you without much background. I decided that I would go back and give you a little of her backstory, her history with the prophets, how she got in such a prominent position in the Bible. But first, what's new and what's next? We're going to have some selections and readings from the Holy Quran and from the Bible. So it's going to be a real long podcast and I will pause so everyone can take a break and stretch. Okay, let's jump right in. The, um, what's new and what's next is William Blake, the English poet and painter, born in 1757, died in 1827. He was born in an area in London known as Soho. And another one of his famous quotes is, thank God I was never sent to school be flogged into following the style of a fool. And true enough, as brilliant as he is, he never went to school. He was left to the outdoors, the nature, and to a a spiritual path. As a matter of fact, it was very refreshing to hear Neville Goddard, one of his contemporaries, speak on YouTube about William Blake and his spiritual quest, his spiritual visions. Very good stuff, people, if you want to check it out. Neville Goddard, G-O-D-D-A-R-D. Very interesting, both of them. Okay, now the Shunammite woman. 
um, it's a rather long passage in Second Kings. Looks like Second Kings four that explains how the Shunammite woman came into the lives of the prophets through, um, I would say, a traditional use of different homes of the wealthy or upper middle class people that had their rooms that they would set aside and decorate for the prophets to use. And it just so happened on one occasion that the prophet Elijah, through his servant, had a conversation with this woman, the Shunammite woman, about a child that she had longed for and she had never been able to have and her husband had reached the age of infertility so that the prophet Elisha prophesied over the woman that at a certain time, a certain season, at a certain year, she would have a son. And long story short is she actually had the son and time went on and the son grew. And then at one point, the son became very low sick so that she had to send one of her servants and she actually went with her servant to the prophet requesting that he would come to her child's bedside which the prophet eventually did after he sent his servant ahead and told his servant to take his staff and lay the staff over the child's face and body which after the servant did he sent a message back to the prophet to say that there was no change of course you know they do the um, whole lot of words to say there's been no change So then after a while, the prophet arrives at the home and the Shunammite woman arrives home with her servant. And that's when the prophet goes into the room where the child has already died. And through the the prophet's power from God, he was able to According to the Bible, he was able to breathe life into the child. And um, it goes into a long, long dissertation, an explanation of how it all happened. But in the bottom line, he was able to raise the child from death. So that's how the Shunammite woman became involved with the prophet so that later on she was um, 
she appeared in the um, scenario that we covered in the last broadcast. So I just wanted to add that in because it seemed to me that she, I didn't want her to be forgotten because she was a pivotal figure in the Bible and women don't really get any recognition whatsoever so I didn't want her to to just be forgotten and she was actually considered to be in the wealthy class which that shouldn't make her any better or worse than anyone else but it was just that her faith led her to go to the ends of the earth to find a prophet to save the child that she waited so many years to have and then had the child through a miracle and the child died and was raised up later back to life by the prophet. So that's 2 Chronicles chapter 4. Shunammite woman and the ninth miracle of Elisha. Our next new profile in courage is just popped up today. In research is Omar Ibn Said. He was born in 1770-1770 and died in 1863. Lived a long 93 years. Ibn Said was a Senegalese Muslim from Senegal, West Africa, who was enslaved by the Christians in West Africa and sold to a slaver plantation in Charleston, South Carolina. He was able to escape to North Carolina where he was captured again and was sold to the brother of the governor of North Carolina. He wrote eventually his autobiography in Arabic and it's considered to be one of the many autobiographies and manuscripts that was written by the African that were enslaved. It was his manuscript is one the only one that survived intact and is available online today at the Library of Congress website www.loc.gov. You may want to take a look at that. He goes into great detail 
to let everyone know about the status of the Africans specifically his life that he gives great details about the statistics of the Africans that were Muslims and according to his records there were 20% of the Africans taken out of West Africa by the Christians or stolen by the Christians into slave sold into slavery 20% were Muslims and I've heard other um, historians Dr. Abdullah Hakim Quick I believe he sets the percentage at a about double of that there was a, a different percentage a greater percentage of Muslims that were that were stolen by the Christians and sold into slavery so that the manuscripts again that were written but did not survive they may or may not have the history of the African Americans today but we do know that we have Omar Ibn Said autobiography with the information and he did write it in Arabic and it was later used by many of the abolitionists of slavery and used by the government early in the American history to abolish slavery so I guess we can thank Islam and Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, for being the pivotal profiles in courage today that eventually led to the Emancipation Proclamation and the freedom of the slaves in North America of course Abraham Lincoln is credited with that but had it not been for Omar Ibn Said a Arabic Muslim from Senegal West Africa who had documented his autobiography in Arabic that was later translated into English. We could have had a very different outcome. So I salute Brother Saeed and I give praise to Allah and to his prophet because I'm a free person today because of Holy Quran and because of the Holy Prophet Muhammad. Peace be upon him. Okay. I'd like to shout out my sisters 
June Hunter. This is her birthday. <coughs> Excuse me. This is her birthday. <coughs> and she just came home from the nursery. <laughs> it seems like she just came home from the nursery the other day, but believe it or not, she had another birthday, so she must be five, and I must be 12. <laughs> Happy birthday, June. Okay, and many, many more to come. Yes, she practices medicine. She's an RN and a woman of many, many talents. A mom, a wife, a grandmother, a great-grandmother. And all of that bundle into one with even more good things I could say about her. I mean, if you ever meet her, you will be the luckiest person in the world. You will have met the nicest, the sweetest, just the best person that you could ever hope to meet. June Erica Turpin Hunter. Happy birthday, dear. And many, many more. Okay, if I see you later, I'll try to sing you happy birthday with um, all the frogs in my throat. <laughs> I can't do it today. <laughs> okay, but what I will dedicate to you is um, the program, today's program on June 12th, 2020. And of course, I have to take a pause to shout out Tiger your oldest son, Tiger 180, the producer of the podcast, the Do Better Show on a anchor.fm, A-N-C-H-O-R.fm forward slash the Do Better podcast with Tiger 180. He actually inspired me. So he is my coach, and he, if it had not been for him, I would not be on Anchor Podcasting. Okay, much love to everyone. And speaking of um, Holy Quran. There's a, so many, so many things I would want to read and share with you, but it probably is wiser if I just direct you to the Quran online or I believe from June probably has one. I, if um, she recalls Aline from Islamic City, 
islamiccity.com or islamiccity.org is online. And anyone that needs a free copy of Quran can go online and request one. And Aline will send you one at no cost. I believe, Juni, you have one, so I would direct you to read Surah 34. And you'll see a profile and courage of a lady much like yourself, the Queen of Sheba, as she's described in the Bible. But in Quran, they actually give you her full profile. Her real name is the Queen. It's Queen Bilkis. Queen Bilkis. She was actually from the land, the queen of the land of Sheba. And of course, you know about her and Solomon. Well, what I really appreciate about the Holy Quran is it's a, a historical record as well as um, inspirational information and the inspirational word of God. It's not the word of the Holy Prophet, but the word of God. In Arabic, God is Allah. There's quite a bit I'd like to read to you. Tune in what I call Arabic, I mean, <coughs> June, you won't know when I mess up, but all the Muslims that will hear this, they will laugh because my Arabic is very, very much like a newborn and very rusty and it's uh a beginning, beginner's level Arabic, but everybody has to start somewhere, so, <laughs> so, you can always take a break if you don't particularly want to hear the Arabic spoken by a um, English, native English speaker. Okay, this is Surah 34, Sabah, or in English, Sheba. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. In the name of Allah, most gracious, most merciful. Alhamdulillahi. All praise be to Allah. To whom belong all things in the heavens and on earth. To him be praised in the hereafter. And he is full of wisdom. Acquainted with all things. He knows all that goes into the earth. And all that comes out thereof. All that comes down from the sky and all that ascends there too. And he is the most merciful. 
the oft forgiving. The unbelievers say, never to us, never to us will come the hour. Say, nay, but most surely by my Lord it will come upon you by him who knows the unseen from whom is not hidden the least little atom the least little atom in the heavens or on earth nor is there anything less than that or greater but is in the record in the record perspicuous perspicuous that he may reward those who believe and work deeds of righteousness for such is forgiveness and a sustenance most generous But those who strive against our signs to frustrate them, for such will be a penalty, a punishment most humiliating. And those to whom knowledge has come see that the revelation sent down to thee from thy Lord, that is the truth, and that it guides to the path of the exalted in might worthy of all praise so true I have to stop there is so much wisdom and truth in these words so much power the unbelievers say in ridicule Shall we point out to you a man that will tell you when ye are all scattered to pieces in disintegration that ye shall then be raised in a new creation? Has he invented a falsehood against Allah or has a spirit seized him? Has a spirit seized him? Nay, it is those who believe not in the hereafter that are in real penalty and in farthest error. See they not what is before them and behind them of the sky and the earth. If we wished, we could cause earth to swallow them up or cause a piece of the sky to fall upon them fairly and this is a sign for every devotee that turns to Allah in repentance we bestowed grace aforetime on David From ourselves, O ye mountains, sing ye back the praises of Allah with him, and ye birds also, 
and we made the iron soft for him, commanding, Make thou coats of mail, balancing well the rings of chain armor, and work ye righteousness. For be sure I see clearly all that ye do, all that ye do. And to Solomon we made the wind obedient. Its early morning stride was a month's journey. I'll read that again. Because the winds were made to obey Solomon. And to Solomon we made the wind obedient. Its early morning stride was a month's journey and its evening stride was a month's journey and we made a font of molten brass to flow for him and there were gins J-I-N-N-S for some audiences American audiences that aren't familiar with Quran the gins were created from fire they are beings that were created by God Allah made from fire some just like humans some are good and then there's others that are evil so these jinns that served Solomon were obviously good for helping him Jins that worked in front of him by the leave of his Lord. And if any of them turned aside from our command, we made him taste of the penalty of the blazing fire. They worked for him as he desired, making arches, images, Basins as large as reservoirs and cooking cauldrons fixed in their places. Work ye, sons of David, with thanks, but few of my servants are grateful. Now, in the Holy Bible, in Second Chronicles 3 and 4. 2 Chronicles 4 and 18 and 2 Chronicles 4 and 2. There is a detailed description of the work that was done. The, the wash basins, which was called font, F-O-N-T, in this text that I've just read from the Holy Quran. But everything is broken down every detail of Solomon's work is described in 2nd Chronicles in great detail and in other books in the I believe in 2nd Samuel 1st and 2nd Samuel 
then we then when we decree Solomon's death, nothing showed them his death except a little worm of the earth which kept slowly gnawing away at his staff. So when he fell down, the gins saw plainly that if they had known the unseen, they would not have tarried, they would not have tarried in the humiliating penalty, in the humiliating penalty of their task. Excuse me, my voice is still trying to get stronger. It's not a hundred percent, but it's still better than nothing at all. <clears throat> now we come to the Queen of Sheba, Queen Bilkis. There was for Sabah aforetime a sign in their homeland, two gardens to the right and to the left, eat of the sustenance provided by your Lord and be grateful to him, a territory fair and happy and a Lord oft forgiving, a Lord oft forgiving. But they turned away from Allah and we sent against them the flood released from the dams and we converted their two garden rows into gardens producing bitter fruit and tamarisk and some few stunted lot trees. That was the requital we gave them because they ungratefully rejected faith and never do we give such requital except to such as are ungrateful as are ungrateful rejectors. Now, I want to read the notes. This particular, well, all of the Qurans that I have, they have just extensive, extensive research notes so that it may take me hours just to read one or two pages because there's so much historical reference included for almost every First, that you come across in Quran, you get just, I mean, unlimited resources. Here's a note 38 and 10, and it's for Surah or verse 15. It says, There was for Sabah or Sheba. The note says, This is the same city and territory in Yemen, Yemen, Y-E-M-E-N, 
that still exists today in the call. Okay. This is the same city and territory in Yemen as in as is mentioned in 27 and 22. That's Surah 27 and 22. And they tell you to the note there. See the note there as to its location. There the period was the time of Solomon and Queen Bilkis. B-I-L-Q-I-S. Bilkis. Here it is some centuries later. It was still a happy and prosperous country amply irrigated from the Ma'arib Dam Ma'arib Dam its road or perhaps its canals were skirted by gardens on both sides right and left at any given point you always saw two gardens it produced fruit Spices and frankincense, and got the name of Araby, A R A B Y, Araby the Blessed, for that part of the country. In the next note, the land was fair to look upon, the people happy and prosperous. And they enjoyed the blessings of Allah, who is gracious and does not punish small human faults or weaknesses. Okay. It actually takes years for... For me, I can only speak for me, it actually takes years for me to appreciate all the depth of each verse and each chapter and each chapter section of the Quran or of the Bible but it's just um, grace and mercy that allows that to happen so that there were years of reading both Bible and Quran that when I look back now it feels as though the time was wasted but if you think of a child that's learning to walk they crawl first and they fall down and they get back up and it's a, it's a learning process a growing process in just about everything that we do in, the, in life that in mind. I could go on and on and on in that particular Surah 34, but there's even more in Surah 36, Yassin.
what's considered dogma theory or contemporary manuscripts compared to the ancient manuscripts like the Quran and the the Sunnah of the Prophet, peace be upon him, and the Hadith, the sayings of the Prophet and the the followers of the Prophet. There's a big difference between the two. So the information that I'm about to give you comes from the first source, the academic world, the professor. She has traveled the world. She's done research. She's she's been in places like Kosovo or Kosovo, as North America calls it. But she's been to Kosovo and many different places where the tourists were told, absolutely, you cannot go. You must stay on the path with the tourists. She would leave the group and she would go do her own independent research so I'm, I'm really grateful to have had her as a professor because every minute she was teaching every minute every minute she never stopped we couldn't stop her at all she had so much information but I know that Sometimes a person can become very tired, jet lagged from flying from one coast to the next, back and forth. And I can't thank her enough. I'll always be grateful to her. But I don't necessarily think that every, I don't necessarily look at that as the last word. But she did talk about the days of the early days before the prophet of Islam, before Quran was revealed and how there were civilizations that existed and they were only they only benefited and elevated after Quran was sent down and after the prophet peace be upon him stood toe-to-toe, stood strong and courageous through all of the mocking that I just read to you from Surah 34, all of the people that mocked him and threatened his life and did physical harm to him, all of this, all of this he survived. But um, the professor talked about those days of ignorance or the days of Jahaliyyah, Jahaliyyah, the days of darkness or ignorance. Just like every other civilization or every other new movement or new country, there has to be a beginning. And just like I mentioned about my Arabic, it's, it sounds okay to me because I'm a new Arabic reader and writer and speaker, so I'm still uh, jahil, I'm still ignorant, 
But to me, you know, if if you ask me, I'll say, oh, it sounds fine. Okay. Um, yeah, the professor, she gave us a lot of information and a syllabus that was at least 20 pages long of resources, two-sided, both sides of the page. So she, um, she didn't take any shortcuts, but the information that she gives and the information that I study from original sources, from the older manuscripts, sometimes they are not necessarily going together. They don't actually uh, duplicate each other every single time. So, um, I'm not going to quote her, but she did talk about a lot of the things in the Quran, but, you know, like anything else, when something, when new information is presented, the human reaction, the first human reaction, it's normal for people to become angry and offended and um, just really upset. And that's what happened when she tried to teach Islamic studies in that particular climate, in that particular year, 1999. It was um, very hostile climate toward Islam and Muslims and they were uh, around the world there were a lot of unspeakable things happening so that if she said anything there was someone that would file a complaint in the university admissions office and they would just frankly uh, they would frankly lie and say she would try to slur other people's religion, which never happened. It never, ever happened. And they would do things that were intended to offend those of us who identify as Muslim. They would do deliberately things, very vulgar things. I won't even repeat right in the classroom, but nobody returned anything vulgar back to them. Only thing I would return is kindness, patience, and nothing else. So I think by the end of that semester, um, many of the races, at least the one that I had to deal with that she was um, very, very upset by my presence. I believe I was the only African-American. There was a, I think, a Hawaiian or Samoan and myself and maybe a Latino male and the rest were, well, there was maybe one Arab, Arab national, but I think most everyone else was European American, 
but that's understood if you're at a private college on the West Coast. That's the only people that you expect to be there and they don't appreciate the rest of us being there. So they make sure that we have a rough ride. So they, um, the one woman that really resented my being there, she eventually, by the end of the semester, she had, um, you know, a, a done a 360 and she was so, you know, different, a whole new person because I refused to return hate for hate and bigotry for bigotry and it just so happened that she was assigned to one committee and I was the chairperson of that committee and because of her poor performance she was supposed to be put out of the class or failed in the class but I was not going to allow that to happen so I took it up on myself to make sure that she did not fail and that she was not put out of the class and I I know she probably will never treat, mistreat another person because of their beliefs or their ethnicity or anything because she was she just really was a totally changed person so um, <clears throat> I didn't mean to tell you all of that personal stuff but no sometimes you just have to tell the truth <laughs> truth press <laughs> Dr. King used to say Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. used to used to say truth pressed to the ground will soon rise again so this happens things happen for a reason and yes today people are still learning that same lesson that without all the diversity they are not going anywhere I mean, you can only go so far, do so much on on your own, by your own brain power. And, oh, oh, oh. Okay, I'll catch you after a long break.